You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Advice on Wi-Fi security from NSA. South African ports are recovering from their ransomware attack. The attack on Iranian railroads was a wiper of unknown origin and uncertain purpose. Developments in the criminal-to-criminal market. Israel undertakes an investigation of NSO Group. Josh Ray from Accenture Security on the road back to the office. Our guest is Duncan Godfrey from Auth0 with insights on managing digital identities. And a bad password is revealed on an open mic during an Olympic broadcast. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, July 29th, 2021. Just after noon today, NSA issued a cybersecurity information sheet that addressed best practices in securing wireless devices in public settings. Rob Joyce, head of NSA's Cybersecurity Directorate, described the advice as clear, actionable guidance for those working remotely or traveling to use public wireless tech securely. The information sheet addresses the obvious issues of public Wi-Fi. If you can avoid using it, avoid using it. But if you must, use a VPN and browse only to HTTPS websites. The sheet also discusses security awareness for Bluetooth and NFC. NSA recommends not using Bluetooth for sharing credentials and also not accepting pairing requests that you haven't initiated. NFC's short range makes it a bit less risky than other wireless technologies, but you should still turn it off when you don't need it and keep it away from unknown electronic devices that might automatically initiate communication. And finally, of course, don't leave your devices lying around unsecured and unattended. Reuters reports that South Africa's Ministry of Public Enterprises said yesterday that service is being restored at ports operated by the state-owned logistics organization Transnet. The ports of Durban, Nagura, Port Elizabeth, and Cape Town were all affected, Durban is now fully operational, and Eastern Cape ports are expected to return to normal capacity soon. The condition of force majeure should be lifted within a few days. 
The nature of the incident seems to be growing clearer. It was a ransomware attack. CrowdStrike sees significant similarities between the artifacts found in the attack on Transnet, particularly in the nature of the ransom demands, and those encountered in earlier ransomware attacks by Death Kitty, also known as Hello Kitty and Five Hands. Death Kitty was observed earlier this year in attacks on CD Project and the exploitation of SonicWall. The Death Kitty operators are probably based in Russia, possibly elsewhere in Eastern Europe, and appear to be a criminal as opposed to an espionage operation. The cyber attack that affected rail operations in Iran earlier this month is now believed, the record reports, to have been a wiper attack as opposed to the ransomware originally suspected. There's no attribution so far, although some political taunting on train station message boards may suggest at least a partial motive, things along the lines of send your complaints to Supreme Leader Khomeini's office. Sentinel-1, which has obtained a copy of the malware and analyzed the attack chain, says it's been unable to associate the attack with any known group. They said, quote, Behind this outlandish tale of stop trains and glib trolls, we found the fingerprints of an unfamiliar attacker. End quote. They call the campaign Meteor Express and think that the wiper deployed, Meteor, was designed to be reused. The attack began with an abuse of group policy to distribute a cab file necessary to the attack. The record quotes Juan Andre Guerrero Sade, principal threat researcher at Sentinel-1, on the mixed quality of this new threat actor's performance. Quote, The attacker is an intermediate-level player whose different operational components sharply oscillate from clunky and rudimentary to slick and well-developed. We see an adversary that doesn't yet have a handle on their deployment pipeline, using a sample of their malware that contains extensive debug features and burning functionality irrelevant to this particular operation. There's features redundancy between different attack components that suggest an uncoordinated division of responsibilities across teams. And files are dispensed in a clunky, verbose, and disorganized manner, unbecoming of advanced attackers. End quote. It's worth noting that Sentinel-1 acknowledged the work of an Iranian firm, Aman Pardaz, which published an early assessment of the incident that Sentinel Labs was able to confirm and use in its own analysis. McAfee Labs yesterday published a warning that the Babuk ransomware operators are apparently making good on their promise to develop their attack tools into a genuinely cross-platform threat. Quote, in recent months, we noticed that several ransomware gangs were experimenting with writing their binaries in the cross-platform language Golang, Go. Our worst fears were confirmed when Babuk announced on an underground forum that it was developing a cross-platform binary aimed at Linux Unix or ESXi or VMware systems. Many core back-end systems and companies are running these .nix operating systems, or, in the case of virtualization, Think about the ESXi hosting several servers or the virtual desktop environment. Babook is one of the relative newcomers to the ransomware underworld, but it's already operating an affiliate network that's bothered some high-profile targets. It has, McAfee says, struggled with making its encryption work, which means two things. First, it's likely that Babook will move toward data theft as its principal mode of extortion. And second, if you are hit by Babook ransomware... 
Don't count on any decryptor you may actually pay them for working as advertised. Summing up recent discussions and suggesting a possible answer to the question, where did Darkseid and Our Evil go anyway? CyberScoop points out that Flashpoint, Mandiant, and Recorded Future all see signs that some or all of their operations may have been reconstituted as black matter. Why rebrand and resurface? It's a matter of self-presentation. Russophone dark web fora catering to criminal markets have, in the face of widespread outrage over large-scale ransomware attacks and desiring to stay out of the crosshairs of increasingly impatient international law enforcement agencies, sought to exclude obvious ransomware operations from their platforms. So Black Matter is coy, as Flashpoint puts it, quote, Black Matter does not openly state that they are a ransomware collective operator, which technically doesn't break the rules of the forums, though the language of their post, as well as their goals, clearly indicate that they are a ransomware collective operator, end quote. At least they're not claiming to be Robin Hoods. Where else are the cyber criminal markets moving? Positive Technologies says that initial access brokers, criminals who offer to sell other criminals access to targets, are doing a land office business. Positive Technologies' observations of the criminal-to-criminal market lead them to conclude that about $600,000 of trade in corporate network access is being done each quarter. In Paris, for meetings with his French counterpart, Israel's Defense Minister Benny Gantz addressed concerns about NSO Group and its export of intercept technology that the Pegasus Project and others have alleged is being abused by repressive regimes to target journalists, dissidents, and others who ought to be outside of the usual scope of legitimate law enforcement or counterterror operations. Gantz said, quote, Israel is investigating the matter with the utmost seriousness. Israel gives cyber licenses exclusively to countries and exclusively for dealing with terrorism and crime, end quote. Israel's Ministry of Defense yesterday tweeted that representatives from a number of bodies came to NSO today to examine the publications and allegations raised in its case. NSO Group confirmed to Motherboard that they had indeed been visited, that they welcomed the visit, which had been conducted by prior arrangement, and that the company expected any investigation to vindicate them of the allegations surfacing in the Pegasus project. Other firms are also receiving scrutiny, although not, as far as is publicly known, official scrutiny. Haaretz, which is no friend in general to this particular Israeli business sector, takes a shot at NSO's quieter competitor, Celebrite. An anonymous essay from a writer whom Haaretz identifies as a former Celebrite employee says the company, quote, knowingly sells products and services to users of dubious repute belonging to autocratic regimes, end quote. Sales to China and Belarus stopped only after inquiries by human rights groups exposed the practice. And finally, have you heard about this Olympics thing that's going on? All the stories of triumph and struggle and the international good feeling that sport brings? We have. We've also heard that a broadcaster on an open mic revealed the password for the computer he was using in his broadcast booth. That he would do so on an open mic is, of course, not a good thing, but it happens, and the open mic is one of the inherent risks of live broadcasting. 
The real scandal is the password those who provided the equipment for the media booth selected. The password, Motherboard reports, was booth.03, just the identifier for that particular booth. Better than using password or 12345678, but only marginally so. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The team at Auth0 recently released their State of Security Identity Report, examining the exponential rise of credential stuffing attacks, fraudulent registrations, and the widespread use of breached credentials. Duncan Godfrey is Vice President of Security Engineering at Auth0, and he joins us with highlights from the report. We knew that credential stuffing was was a plague on the internet and a plague on our customers, but even I wasn't expecting it to kind of be, we, we have 16.5% of all login traffic that we see is a credential stuffing attack. So, you know, it's nearly a fifth of all traffic. And on some days we see it reaching a peak of 40%. So that's when a customer or our, our platform is kind of un, uh, coming under intense attack. So that's something that jumped out as, as very interesting and, and something that we need to be thinking carefully about. So another thing was that roughly 15% of all registration attempts result in failure. So that is something that is particular to consumer-facing identity, which is, it's called a sign-up attack. And again, I really wasn't expecting the figure to be that high, and I really don't think it's something that, our, that most of our customers were tracking. So now it's something we wanted to focus on, because it's, it can really be an indicator that an attack is on the way once you see an, an uptick and things like that. Hmm. What exactly is a sign-on attack? 
So a sign-up attack is it's when someone will try and create a number of uh, fake accounts in your application. So they're basically trying to overwhelm you to either, in one example, they could be trying to get access to accounts so they can you know, commit some fraud, but also they could just be trying to slow you down and bring your infrastructure down. So um, yeah, it's something that everyone should be wary of. Gotcha. Another thing that you all took a look at were uh, multi-factor authentication bypass attacks. What was going on there? Yeah, MFA was another interesting focus of the report. So MFA has become ubiquitous in, uh, for most even regular users who are protecting a lot of their online accounts when they have an authenticator. And it's, it's often protecting high-value accounts. But I think what people don't realize is that it can actually be targeted in MFA bypass attacks. So that's where an attacker will try and capture the authentication factor or the code through phishing or spoofing. So what we saw in the report is that there are some industries that are susceptible to this. So we, we saw that the tech industry in particular experiences the most MFA brute force attempts. So that was why well, we saw that 40, 42% of all these attacks were the technology industry, but also Consumer goods industries, financial services, industrial services, they're all susceptible to um, attacks of this nature. So what were some of the key takeaways here from the information you gathered? What were the, the lessons learned? Really what we wanted to do here is, is establish a, a baseline for moving forward. So there is something for anyone who is trying to secure an application on the internet that they have data that they have some basic attack types so they can start thinking about how they can uh, secure their application and the types of attacks that they're, they're going to be facing. So we talked about credential stuffing attacks, uh, brute force attacks. We talked about um, sign-up attacks. So that's, that's what everyone should be thinking about, and that's where uh, a technology platform like Authura can certainly help with some of the features we offer. But... The main takeaway from the beginning was that, you know, MFA is still is still a basic and the most effective countermeasure that we should be deploying. So um, we encourage everyone to, to be thinking about how they can, in the most frictionless way possible, introduce MFA into their users' um, login flows to secure those accounts. Was there anything coming out of the data here that was particularly surprising for you and anything that was unexpected? So... I think, as I mentioned before, it was the sheer volume of attacks. I mean, I think almost this is something that we've lived and breathed for a, for a period of time. You know, this is mm. this is what I obsess about. This is what the security team obsesses about. And so, being able to share just really that if you're if you're going to put an application on the internet, you should expect that up to a you know a fifth of the traffic that you're going to receive is going to be malicious traffic, and that. You should be prepared for that and you should be prepared for dealing with peaks where you could become under sustained and, and very uh, high volume attacks that, that could, could have a significant impact on you and your business. That's Duncan Godfrey from Auth0. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security 
by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Josh Ray. He is a managing director and also global cyber defense lead at Accenture Security. Josh, always great to have you back. You know, uh, you and I were were talking before we started recording here about um, this sort of sense of of hope that we share as people are getting vaccinated and uh, and even just the the spring weather is being nice. And I think that means for a lot of organizations, they're going to be thinking about people heading back to the office. What are some of your thoughts there? Yeah, Dave, uh, you know, it is great to see this kind of sense of hope. And I think if this global pandemic has proved anything is that cyber adversaries will exploit any technical or physical circumstance uh, that they can use to further their objectives. And, you know, we saw this early on in the pandemic where, you know, attackers were exploiting organizations that were really in this crisis mode of having to accelerate a massive digital transformation, uh, trying to figure out how to secure a remote workforce and really just the security teams trying to keep pace. But to your point, I think now in the coming months, as some organizations are beginning to journey back to the office, we need to collectively think, I think as a community, how the threat is going to leverage this phase to their advantage. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting thought. Do And we have all these devices that have been sort of out there in the wild and now they're going to be, uh, I don't know, to mix metaphors, they're going to be back inside the castle walls, right? Yeah. And, and you know, there's that kind of traditional IT security uh, problem. But one of the things that actually our, our CTI team has been thinking a lot about is really the exploitation around business travel uh, during this transition back to, to normal operations. And I think that comes in kind of three main areas. One of the things that the team is, has, you know, done some really in-depth assessments on is the the market for compromised traveler data has flourished. And our team believes that this is really uh, going to continue in the form of accounts being targeted uh, based on their higher volumes of uh, frequent flyer miles. So the greater perks and also the higher credit limits. And then now to kind of further complicate this whole uh, notion of how we travel and how we interact at borders and such since February, our team has seen multiple markets selling this false vac- uh, vaccination records. Uh, similarly, there's a market for forged negative test results as well. So many countries now require this for uh, travel, you know, not only to events, but also back into the country. So I think this mm-hmm. is going to further complicate our ability to operate. And then third actors are, are very much aware of this you know, rush to implement these contactless mobile apps and the pressure on 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 travelers to use these apps. And since the beginning, you know, we've seen threat actors um, using pandemic themes uh, in their operations to, you know, deploy spyware and banking trojans and adware. But this really especially is relevant to those senior uh, business executives that have been continuously targeted by some of those uh, cyber espionage threat groups. And that's uh, something that especially that those executives need to be uh, aware of. Hmm. And, and what are your recommendations there for folks to, to best prepare and protect themselves against these sorts of things? Yeah, I think that's, 
right now, I think it's really remaining and, and focusing on that information that you trust from those uh, travel advice requirements from official government tourism board websites, but you know more uh, subtle trade craft around operational security, carrying only essential corporate devices on travel, ensuring those accounts and devices are secured with multi-factor authentication where possible, but also educating st- uh, staff on staying uh, secure uh, when traveling. You know, so not con- connecting to open Wi-Fi networks, making sure that they you know leverage their VPNs whenever possible. Uh, don't install any apps that you know are suspect in nature or are not you know approved by your your corporate folks. So you know these are all things that I think are are table stakes, but at least will provide you with some level of um, of security and, and lower your risk of being a target you know while you're traveling. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thought that you know when it comes to traveling, I suppose on a certain level, a lot of folks are going to be just plain rusty. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. We're going to probably start to see longer lines in security too, as you know, folks that are used to kind of going through security really quick and just you know throwing their bags on. But I, I also, I also goes probably for their for their IT hygiene and their security practices and, and how they operate that way too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, good advice, Josh Ray. Thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Trey Hester, Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Savy, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire.